How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to our second broadcast. For those of you that uh, are following us, uh, we had a very successful first broadcast, and I really appreciate uh, the comments received uh, on that first broadcast and some suggestions, frankly, on, on what are the things that we can do. And so, again, thank you for those uh, that joined us in our first episode, and thank you for those that are joining us for the first time. Uh, in this uh, particular uh, format of uh, defining essentially what is going on uh, in the world of technology, the world of business, and the word, world of organizational change. And of course, trying to bring some method to the madness that you see out there uh, in the world of the internet. And all of us know one of the great things about the internet is anybody can write anything about anything. And one of the problems with the internet is anybody can write anything about anything. And what we're going to be trying to do in this uh, broadcast and others is to bring some logic, some traceable logic to you uh, when you go forward um, uh, in your organizations on business change, organizational change, or, of course, information and technology change. And one of the recommendations made, uh, as a matter of fact, by a couple of our our, uh, visitors from the last broadcast is to bring some urgency uh, and information Uh, to each one of these broadcasts. And so what I did this week is I spent some time in in broadcast preparation in looking at some of the items that may be of interest to you. And I'm going to briefly just go over some of those before we get into the major content of this particular broadcast, which is moving from the industrial age through the internet age into what we refer to as the information age. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But parallel to that is some headlines I want to bring to you of things that are applicable uh, to what we're going to be talking about. And that's the movement to the information age. So, for example, April 16th article, Amazon has major problems with thousands of fake reviews. Interesting. And if you read the article and anything that you're hearing from me, I'd be more than happy to provide for you uh, in written format, email, whatever you'd like to see here so you can see some of the details. But basically, this article is about fake reviews. And, of course, you probably uh, you know, have uh, witnessed some of that. And um, Amazon's having a difficult time, as, uh, you know, as well as other sites, you know, whether it's Yelp or Travelocity or uh, you know, Travel Advisor things. Everyone is having these same things. And it has to do with the identities of the people actually writing the reviews. Second article, April 12th, Google sued over abuse of search power, opening path for more claims. Fascinating. All of us thought decades ago that the Internet was going to be essentially a equalizer for small, medium, and large-size organizations, people, content, opinions, et cetera, et cetera. But we're seeing a consolidation just like we saw uh, decades ago, whether it was the issues that uh, happened uh, with IBM's dominance in the technology uh, that was there or AT&T's dominance 
in the communications area. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, the government had to step in and address some of that. Uh, and maybe we're seeing the same type of things there. Now, when it comes to a famous phrase that we've heard uh, recently, uh, fake news is also in the news again. And let me again talk about Google. And this is a head scratcher. And the title of this article, April 14th, was Google quietly disbanded another AI review board following disagreements. So Google has tried to bring in some independent people to review some of the things they're doing in artificial intelligence. And you can imagine the clash that you have with the, with the people within the organization and the various constituents within Google that are looking at this. Uh, and if I can be so bold, there's a revenue component too. In other words, you have to look at all the sides here. Nothing is free. So artificial intelligence, which we'll talk about in an upcoming episode, uh, is dominating the conversations. But what actually is it? And what it is, is essentially is a series of algorithms. And somebody is writing and controlling those algorithms. And this advisory board uh, seemed to be uh, looking at that. A very disturbing headline to me April 11th of this year, just obviously, uh, you know, last week or a few days ago. This is from Bob Iger, the Disney chief executive officer. And the title of the article really hits a lot of us. And the title is, and I'm quoting directly, Hitler would have loved social media. Wow. If that doesn't get your attention, what is? And essentially... What he said was, it's one of the most powerful marketing tools to extremists, not just you and I as upstanding citizens. Because by design, social media reflects a narrow worldview, filtering out anything that challenges a certain set of beliefs, while consistently validating our convictions and amplifying our deepest fears. What a powerful phrase uh, that he puts out there. And it should bring a bit of a chill to all of us. And it's a sort of an energy source that we may not know how to control yet or how to address consistently. Just think about nuclear energy. It's a tremendous resource. And at the same time, it can, quote, do evil, unquote. So, of course, if it gets in the wrong hands that are there. We're seeing the same thing here. And Mr. Iger, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, has brought this to light, um, you know, that's there. April 14th, Facebook. <laughs> Facebook scandal of fake celebrity ads. And, of course, uh, I'm sure that all of you have seen some of these things there. But this one hit Dr. Oz, and he is a very famous, uh, essentially, television personality and uh, other things, uh, and he constantly talks about uh, various types of medical things. And uh, one day he woke up and he saw an ad that says, Dr. Oz, Oz, excuse me, diabetic breakthrough, promising cure for diabetes. <laughs> and he said, what? <laughs> what the heck is this? You know, that's there. So here's a situation where somebody is sitting there, um, I'll say, minding his own business, obviously a celebrity, and all of a sudden he finds out uh, that people are using his name uh, in an inappropriate manner. And, uh, of course, hiding behind, of course, 
the internet and Facebook and all the other uh, things that are out there. Once again, it has to do with identity, identifying the individual that's there. Uh, This one is interesting to all of you that are into especially cloud computing. And it's not just cloud computing, but also internal technologies. And the title of this particular article, this is from Thomson Reuters, one of the West's biggest cybersecurity vulnerabilities, and I'm reading directly here, not changing any of the words, one of the West's biggest cybersecurity vulnerabilities is our idiotic habit of sending servers full of sensitive information to foreign countries. And so what the article is suggesting, if you go into detail here, and if you're into the technology a a little bit, if you just hit the delete key on your computer, the files that are actually on there aren't deleted. What you're actually deleting is sort of like the table of contents to that file. And some of the things that uh, you need to do to actually purge that are quite um, um, uh, quite elaborate uh, in some areas. And, of course, it depends on the sensitivity. But just think about this in your daily practice and, for example, your cloud computing provider. Let's say they have to swap out a disk that holds your information or a computer. Well, what is happening to that source when that happens? What assurances do you have? I'd suggest you start reading your contracts and things like that to see, uh, you know, what's out there. And most recently, and I'm really not trying to to sound political at all, we have heard about the alleged activities going on um, with Mrs. Clinton and Secretary Clinton's activities when she was allegedly purging the materials on her server and how elaborate that was. Well, just think about your own organization, your own company, your personal information, where it is, and what happens. And uh, again, there's there's no quick answer I can give you on our broadcast, uh, but there are ways to, to do that. April 2nd, just a little while ago, taking AI, artificial intelligence, with a grain of salt. Fascinating article, fascinating article. And that is essentially in a conference put on the, by the Wall Street Journal for artificial, exec, uh, artificial intelligence of an executive forum. And this article goes in and, and talks about essentially a different view of AI. And one of the most important lines here that I want to bring to your attention is that business leaders face numerous challenges when developing and deploying artificial intelligence projects from biased training data to unreliable models. And what we have to realize is that AI or artificial intelligence is only as good as the accuracy of the data put into it. I know that sounds kind of funny, but basically, if you put garbage in, AI is going to put out garbage out faster. And we have to look at that also. Well, the issue is data. The issue is the source of data, the accuracy of the data, the use of the data, the the categorization, the classification of that data. And in the olden days, we had file cabinets, and we could sort of watch what was going on. Well, how is that information being collected, and how is it being used is a huge topic um, that we have here. 
This particular one, I've just got a few more here to get your uh, 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 interest uh, going here. This one to me is hilarious. One of the newest titles that we're seeing in organizations out there is the chief digital officer. Now, no one explains how the chief digital officer interacts with the chief marketing officer, which interacts with the chief information officer, which interacts with the chief technology officer, with the chief, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all the other chiefs that are out there. I have nothing against chiefs or CIOs or anything else like that. But when you add a title, there's a series of actions that are involved in that. Well, how is that all sorted out? Who's doing what? What type of grid can you say, and you're responsible for this, and you're responsible for that, and you're responsible for this, so there's no overlapping and, 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 and unintended consequences that go on is what we're seeing. And so the title of this is the chief digital officer role is already heading toward extinction, which I think is hilarious. I think it only started a few months ago, <laughs> or maybe maybe two years ago or something like that. And that's because everything is about digitalization. And one of our upcoming episodes is going to be on essentially digital transformation. Well, for God's sake, what do you think we've been doing in the industries since the first computer was developed? Digitizing. So once again, is this a marketing slogan? What is the difference between this stuff going on? It's easy to slap essentially a new title onto something. But what actually does it mean is the question. And, of course, we'll be getting to that in an upcoming broadcast. This one, again, is a pause that we should all have. I don't know if any of you have essentially witnessed or or observed or read about some of the very strange collisions that have occurred in our oceans uh, between these massive ships and and I, as a small uh, small boater, a little 22-foot boat I have, <laughs> scratch my head and say, uh, how do these big ships hit each other? Um, you know, and what, what causes these types of things? There's a tremendous amount of technology on these ships and shipping lanes and things like that and f- feedback mechanisms. Well, what the heck is going on? Well, this article may give us a hint. And again, I'm not changing any of the words here at all. And the title of the article is The Russians Are Screwing With the GPS System to Send Bogus Navigation Data to Thousands of Ships. Here we go, possibly blaming the Russians again. I'm just reading the article here. Uh, Dozens of ships navigating around the world have been sent false location data. Wow. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? Two more articles. Tencent Keen Security Labs. It's one of the uh, very prestigious labs that are out there. Okay. And this has to do with activities going on with these automated vehicles that we're seeing. And some of these vehicles, uh, essentially, they're taking over a lot of activities that a driver used to do. And it's specifically talking about Tesla. And I'm not suggesting Tesla is the only one. But basically, some things here that are quite nerve-wracking. And one of them was the ability to remotely affect lane changing by doing some very simple things to the road. And, of course, those are done for, you know, uh, ill purposes. They're not done on purpose. 
But I'm going to take you back in an upcoming episode to an autonomous vehicle that my wife and I drove in 1972. 1972. And I think it'll be a fascinating review. Here we are in 2019, 1972. We were doing some of this stuff, too, and what has happened over the years, um, you know, that are there. And the final article is essentially one from our Homeland Security Office and our federal government warns security flaws in enterprise VPNs. And what is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. And basically what it is is a technology that is set up to try to address some of the public issues that we essentially see on the Internet and connectivity. In other words, the security of transmission of information, transmission of data and communications that are there. And what a virtual private network is, is essentially a closed community. So with that, I'd like to thank you for your attention for our first uh, uh, segment of our show. And when we come back in just a few minutes, we'll be talking about the movement from the industrial age through the Internet age and essentially into the information age. So thank you for listening. We'll see you back here right after the break. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Thank you for returning. And uh, as I mentioned before our break, we're now going to talk about understanding the 12 attributes that all of us should be interested in as we move from the industrial age that a lot of us have grown up in, if you're 40 or 50 plus years old, uh, the internet age, which a lot of you have grown up in more recently, and some of us uh, that have a bit of gray hair have seen also, and into what we're referring to as the information age. And each of these attributes will have a profound impact on all aspects of business and technologies. There's 12 attributes that we have essentially cataloged that are going to affect all of us, whether we're business people, whether we're consumers, whether we're technologists, 
And it doesn't matter the size of the business. It doesn't matter the size of the organization. This will affect individuals, large, small organizations, government agencies are all going to be facing this paradigm shift. And that phrase is sometimes used a lot. This is really a paradigm shift that we're seeing. The industrial age and the internet age, dominant organizations are and may be facing displacement. And this is nothing new because we saw that decades ago, hundreds of years ago, in the other ages uh, prior to essentially the ages you know, that we're, we're talking about today. And we have traced this type of thing back and studied these ages back to the nomadic age, the agricultural age, the mercantile age, the industrial age, the internet age, and the information age is what we're going to be covering on uh, these uh, broadcasts that are there. We haven't reached an emergency situation yet by any means, but time is of the essence. Each one of these ages is approximately 40 to 70 years. And it's hard to gauge because they sort of flow into each other. And all of a sudden, we may wake up one day and realize there's a major change that is going on out there. And the key thing is for our audience is to begin planning your organization's opportunity in the information age. And that planning, maybe that should begin next Monday morning. It's a plan. How are you going to address these types of things? And we hope to give you essentially some indication of, of the movement here by introducing you to these age attributes. And some of you may have essentially a focus on one or more of these more than others that are out there. And these 12 uh, uh, attributes, and I'm just going to list these off before we get started, essentially are the dominant technology of the age, essentially the icon. In other words, what was the signal to us that a new age was occurring, the basic science that underline the movement that's there, and there's some skill changes that are going to be going on, what the actual output was in these various ages. What, what were we actually providing or what things out there were people looking for? This may sound a bit funny, this one. What's the energy source? What was the energy source? What actually made that age significant that was there? Something that is very interesting to all of us, especially the dominant players out there right now in the internet age, is what was the basis of wealth and how is that going to change? This is very, very significant. Of course, it's also an opportunity for some of the new people uh, that are looking at the information age. And it doesn't mean that the internet age dominant organizations and individuals aren't going to continue they may, but there is opportunity, obviously, for new. What actually makes a difference in this new age? What is the dominant characteristic that made a difference in each one of these ages, and how could that possibly be changing? Then we talk about defining the work. Who's actually going to do the work in the information age, and are those people or individuals or 
artificial intelligent robots or whatever delivery mechanisms that you tend to see out there, um, you know, who are they? Who's actually going to be doing the work? Is everyone going to be displaced? We're going to be sitting on our couch, binge watching all day, whatever it is, and have pizza delivered to our homes and drinks delivered to our homes uh, by robotics. And nobody's going to be doing anything. Just think about that. Nobody's going to be doing anything. It'll all be done by things. By the way, that doesn't sound too entertaining anyways. Organizational form. This is a big one. The organizational form, if we look at this, goes back to, if you've read anything about an ancient Chinese warrior, Sun Tzu. It is a a tremendous document, essentially a pamphlet, a book. It's not very long. That has been translated probably into virtually every language known to humankind that's out there. And it's the basic premise that management, especially in military, but it's, it's also now in organizations everywhere. And it's basically what an organizational structure looks like. And basically it starts off with a command and control structure, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. Means of logistics, the age attribute. This is one of the big things that's out there. And what the internet has done is taken distance and time and brought it down to zero. And that obviously has a profound effect on what is going on. But as it's brought it down to zero, obviously we've we've seen the ability of more evil doing to be done quickly. There's obviously some extremely positive characteristics but also we may have some issues that are there. And where's the marketplace? We're seeing that all the time. The headlines out there, you know, the issues with with shopping malls and things like that. And and we went from, you know, we were, and this is just a little while ago, we were happy with, uh, you know, getting delivery in a, in a month. Then we were happy with getting delivery in a week. And then we were happy getting delivery in two days. And now we're anxious to have delivery in two hours. And uh, one of my favorite uh, television shows, for those of you that remember this, um, was a show called The Jetsons. And, uh, of course, the housewife at the time, my apologies for using that phrase, was Jane Jackson. And she was complaining that her index finger was being bruised because she was making dinner by pushing buttons. And she kept pushing the buttons and she had a bruised finger that was there. Uh, Instantaneous meals, of course, and the food racket cycle. Uh, was the key element there. So with humor aside for just a moment, I want to start walking through each one of these characteristics because every one of these will have an impact on us. And as the audience, uh, listening audience, some of these may have more interest to you, and I understand that, uh, than others. But all of these will have an impact uh, on us. Let's start with the dominant technology. And the dominant technology in the industrial age was the machine. The dominant technology in the Internet age is the computer. The dominant technology, and it may sound kind of funny when I say it this way, in the information age is actually going to be information classification. Information classification. Let me give you some of the parallels. And I'm going to elaborate on this one a little bit so you sort of see how we did our our research and our understanding of what was going on here. 
The dominant technology in the industrial age essentially was the machine. And in the beginning of the industrial age, we started with one of these massive engines. And if you ever watch some of the old newsreels or shows or film strips on these things uh, uh, out there, you saw that there was these massive, usually it was a some kind of cauldron of boiling water or something like that, that was generating steam. <clears throat> that steam was used to drive essentially some kind of a rotating device that had belts on it, and the belts were essentially transferring power to the various components in the factory that was there. And essentially the limitation of the factories at that particular time was how much stretch there was in the leather belts and, of course, the energy dissipation that went on as these machines got further away from the energy source that was there. Now, for those of you that uh, recognize a little bit of mathematics here, you can see that what we had was one energy source to many uses of that particular source that was there. And that is what's referred to in the science of a one-to-many relationship. One engine, many uses to that. And that has a certain level of complexity. Now, fast forward in the industrial age to essentially the invention of the electric motor that dramatically changed what was going on. Instead of producing or essentially distributing some very difficult energy, in other words, the physical energy of these belts and things like that, when the electric motor was developed, we were essentially moving electrons, which fit very nicely in a piece of wire, which was easier to transmit than the energy sources that we're using initially. And essentially what we started doing was making these small motors, which essentially worked on what is called, even now today's, manufacturing work cells. It allows us to distribute the power much easier, and now we could essentially build three-dimensional types of manufacturing environments that was there. A tremendous increase in productivity and functionality and the speed of getting products to market that was there. But what we have to recognize is that we dramatically increased, dramatically increased the complexity geometrically increased. In the beginning of the industrial age, we have what I refer to as a one-to-many relationship. In other words, one engine source to many sources. Now we have a many-to-many relationship where we can route things all over the place. This workstation to this workstation, that workstation to that workstation, that workstation back to this one, et cetera, et cetera. Mathematically, again, many-to-many relationship, geometric increase in complexity and behind that was a science that was developed, essentially called, essentially routing or operational understanding, operational research and things like that, that we had essentially to make that happening. Workflow is another phrase that was used, understanding the workflow to make all of this happen. Now, what's fascinating is we saw the same thing going on in the internet age that we're into right now and essentially moving away from that particular technology alone. We're adding to it when we get into the information age. So once again, let's begin in the beginning of the internet age. And I'm going to essentially fast forward in a lot of technologies uh, that I was somewhat familiar with uh, decades ago. But let's start off with the big machine that you sometimes hear about. And some of you are probably familiar with this phrase, 
the mainframe, the main computer. And the dominant, of course, player at that particular time was international business, international business, business machines, IBM. Uh, I stumbled over that because some of us don't even remember what IBM stood for. Uh, that was their international business machines. And now, of course, it's, it's referred to as, you know, as IBM <clears throat> that was there. And they had these massive power units. Notice the parallels, just like we had in the industrial age, this massive amount of power. And that power was distributed by these teeny tiny little wires that were attached to that particular machine. And most of us, if you're into the technology at the time um, and and looked at it at all, had this beautiful uh, etched, unfortunately, green faded screen sitting in front of us that were attached by these little wires. And we were interfacing um, uh, using that using an antiquated thing called essentially a clickety-clickety keyboard (laughs) that was there, if some of you remember what that was about. And again, in the beginning of the industrial, excuse me, the internet age, we had a very, quote, simple, unquote, environment. One machine to many, many uses of that machine. Once again, a one-to-many relationship. Fast forward in the internet age, to the invention, essentially, of the personal computer, the personal computer, once again, dramatically shifted what was going on. You can see the parallel now in the industrial age. We had a massive machine in the beginning of the industrial age. We had a massive machine in the beginning of the internet age. We had essentially a distribution of power in the industrial age. And now in the internet age, we have the same thing. We're breaking this big, massive machine into little pieces that are out there. And we, of course, call them personal computers. Now, it doesn't matter what technology uh, you're interested in, whether it's a Macintosh-based computer or a a Microsoft-based computer or a Linux computer, if any of uh, you're looking at that, or a Chromium book, Chromecast book, or Chromebook, whatever. My apologies for the various names that are out there. It doesn't matter what the technology is, but that's where we are. We're broken this massive thing up into little pieces. But ladies and gentlemen, we forgot something. What did we forget? We forgot about the massive technology complexity because now we have a situation as we had in the industrial age of a many-to-many relationship. We've changed the complexity equation. Yet we don't have, and I want to emphasize, we don't have a baseline for addressing and managing that complexity. And history has shown us that we need a baseline for managing that complexity when things get complex. Just think about this for a moment. If you have 16 computers that are sort of lashed together, if I can use that phrase, that communicate with each other, we have 23 million possible interconnections between 16. And unfortunately, if we look at the world of evildoers, of hacking, we, in quotes, have to be right every time. Those hackers only have to be right one time. And recently, I did a webinar that got a lot of attention. I guess that's a good word. 
And the title of the webinar was, Get Over It, The Hackers Have Won. That did get, did get a lot of attention. They haven't won yet, but they are winning. Because basically, what we have to recognize is there's a fundamental, a fundamental issue that we have to address. And that is essentially the concept of geometric complexity, which we did address in the industrial age, but unfortunately in the internet age, we haven't done that. So take a little break again for us. Just come back in a couple of minutes and we'll talk about the last age in the dominant technology, which is information classification. We'll see you back here in a couple of minutes. Thank you again for listening. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Thank you for joining us for the last segment today. And we're talking about essentially the movement from the industrial age through the internet age and the information age that we're going into. And uh, in our last segment, we talked about the industrial age and the internet age and the dominant technology. And in this segment, I'm going to be talking about the information age that we're going into. And the dominant technology or the dominant essentially new thing that we're talking about is something that is actually very, very old. And the information age dominant technology is going to return to a activity that's called information classification. Information classification. Now, what is that? Uh, any of you, you that use your favorite search engine, it doesn't really matter which one it is. And I know this may sound a bit insulting, but I don't mean it to be insulting, insulting, but sort of factual is that actually what we see right now is sort of like a popularity contest. It's sort of like who can get the most, uh, if some of these phrases are familiar to you on the internet, when you type in a, a certain search uh, uh, activity, for example, you know, in our world of enterprise architecture or business architecture, what comes back there is something that is, it should be 
you know, uncomfortable to all of us. Well, there's six million hits. And most of us probably don't look past the first page or the second page of what we see. And you might want to question, well, how did it get there? How, how did it get there? Again, a topic for another conversation that we're going to be having on this show is our experiences with these types of things. And just to give you an idea, and this is very troubling to me because this is my money. Uh, every month I spend approximately $16,000 in our company in trying to figure out how to stay relevant on these search engines and how to not become someone that's in the penalty box because I did something wrong. The internet is not free. Information is not free. It's costing somebody money and it's costing me you know, a lot of money there. But it's also something that is going to disappear. I don't know exactly when, but it's not working. So what is this concept of information classification? Well, it's something that you and I experienced quite some time ago if we remember libraries. Anybody remember libraries? Anybody remember physical books, <laughs> for example? This is what we need to do. Just think about a library for a moment. And there are three characteristics of a library that made it neutral to the way that we approached it and used it. And this is not in any order, but I'm going to start with the thing that we need on the internet first, and that is an information classification. Now, what was that, if some of you remember your schooling days and things like that, that made the library function? It was the Dewey Decimal System. Dewey Decimal System was what made it work. So in slot 3.1.4.9 or whatever, whatever it was, you had a set of information sources. And that slot stayed neutral to what was put in it. It didn't care how, quote, popular things were. Now, maybe the library itself would make choices on how many copies of something were there based on its popularity. But the information classification was information classification rather than information popularity. And I discussed in our first segment today the issue with fake reviews and the ability to stuff the ballot box, so to speak, with this. This is a huge issue. Well, it's not going to be fixed by AI, ladies and gentlemen, or XYZ or QRS. It's a fundamental change that we need in the information age into what we refer to essentially as something like, if not like exactly, the Dewey Decimal System, which is a classification system that's there. The second thing that made libraries work, and the second thing we have to think about, is essentially the stable nature of our searching. In other words, if we went into the library one day and we saw a piece of information or a book or a pamphlet or a magazine or an article in a certain location, it was there the next day and the next day and the next day and didn't change its state when we went looking for it. The same search that we were doing, whether it was through a, you know, a, a card catalog or the assistance of the library, whatever it was, it was the same thing. 
And that's referred to in the science nowadays as having a long tail consistent search. In other words, when you put something into your popular search engine out there today, and you put that same phrase in two weeks later, three hours later, 15 minutes later, five days later, you actually get a different set of sources sometimes. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Right away, that should be an indicator to us that it's not a search engine. It's something else. It's something else. Now, I want to clarify and, and uh, to make sure that everyone understands, I do use the popular search engines. We do advertise on those search engines. And so this is giving people, even though I'm, a, I'm essentially a provider of revenue to these sources, there are other ways to make it even better. And I think it will be better if we recognize the change that's required. So the first thing is some kind of a neutral classification structure. Wouldn't that be great? And that's what we had in the libraries. That's what we still have in the libraries. And when you look at it, it sounds so simple. And what's amazing about the Dewey Decimal System, when you think about it, is that Mr. Dewey had no idea about rocket ships or Britney Spears, yet the classification system still works. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Classification. And as the amount of information that we have grows, this type of structure will assure you and I we are, we are getting what we need, which is correct information, not quantities of information, not quantities of opinions, not quantities of fake news or fake reviews or fake articles, but a consistency that's there. And we start migrating to that same Dewey Decimal System location because we see essentially a correctness there and an accuracy over time. Now, second component that we have, again, is that long tail search concept that we, we chatted about. Next thing, the librarian. <laughs> now, we're just getting rid of all the people. We'll just, we'll just put a robot in there. Well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. But what was the library's, librarian's function? One of them was kind of mundane. And that mundane function was going into the library in straightening things out, essentially ensuring that the classification system that was essentially done and things filed in stays accurate over time. And if you walk into some of the libraries nowadays, you see signs all over the place. Don't put books back on the shelf after you've looked at them. Just put them in this area and we'll take care of them afterwards. That's an indication of what we're talking about here. In other words, the information that we have gets out of sync or out of sorts because people are using it. And it could be because of carelessness. It could be because of time. It could be because of speed. It could be because of evildoers. There could be a lot of different reasons, but it could be. So somebody or something has to go in there and straighten things out. Once again, you know, that's there. So in the information age, once again, what we're looking at there, we believe, and we've seen that movement, I want to stress here, in our first time together on this topic, these this is not fiction. People are doing this stuff now as we're entering this new age called information age. And there are organizations out there that are starting to recognize this movement, frankly, a little faster than others that are out there. So again, information classification, 
we're looking at some kind of a way to store and retrieve stuff. Second thing we're looking at is a consistency in search. And then the third thing we're looking at essentially is some kind of approach that allows us to be ensured that the stuff in there is accurately placed, accurately classified. And I want to mention something about this particular concept many, 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 many years ago. Um, when the internet sort of got started, the dominant search engine at the time was Yahoo. And all of us have seen what's happened to Yahoo, good, bad, or indifferent. And again, there's a bazillion different reasons um, why these things occur. But in the early days of the internet, Yahoo was the dominant player. And I remember like it was yesterday, when we first got started uh, in the internet world, we had a website. And we submitted that website to Yahoo with a check. <laughs> it wasn't a large check. And what they would do is to look at our website and determine the classifications that it could be searched on. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Sure sounds like the Dewey's Decimal System to me. In other words, what Yahoo was doing was essentially assuring their consumers, their consumers, that there was some essentially consistency in what was going on out there. And they were being essentially the classifier. And of course, you can make sure after you saw that, that it was accurate and you could do an appeal process if you argued and things like that. And what happened? Well, unfortunately, it couldn't scale, whatever it meant, for whatever reason, it couldn't scale. So what happened essentially was what? A different approach, as I call it, the popularity contest approach, which was mechanized by a bunch of algorithms, took over because essentially the human element uh, was, was uh, going to take too much time because of the amount of information that's out there. But I do believe that the world is ripe for an information classification approach as we're approaching the information age that's there. So what we're able to cover today and, uh, is essentially one of the attributes that we have essentially in moving from the industrial age to the internet age and the information age. On next week's program, we're going to go through the remainder of these in a much faster pace uh, so that you can essentially see what's going on. So I wanted to give you the time today to sort of see our logic behind these types of things. So I want to thank everyone again for tuning in to the 2020s Enterprise. I'm Sam Holzman. I welcome your comments. Sam at EACOE.E. We do return your emails. Thank you for listening. We look forward to hearing your suggestions and suggestions for other upcoming shows. Thank you again. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in this week to the 2020s Enterprise. Be sure to join your host, Sam Holzman, again for another edition of our program next Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more topics of discussion then. 